All right, how's it going? My name is Matt, Matt Barr. You're listening to episode 151 of the Looking Sideways Action Sports podcast, the show where I try and cover the most interesting stories in action sports and other related endeavours. Thanks for tuning in to this episode, and I do hope you enjoy it. I've got mountain bike legend Rachel Atherton on the show this week. Yeah, been wanting to speak to Rachel for years, to be honest, and we finally made it happen. We did record an episode in June 2020, but we I'm not going to go into it, but we had technical difficulties and it didn't work out. And uh, here we are. We we finally got back together in March 2021. So thanks, Rach. Thanks to everyone at Atherton Racing as well for their brilliant help with this. So where do you start with Rachel and all her achievements? I'm going to go time-honoured because I'm a bit of a mountain bike novice. Hope that doesn't mean that everyone's tuning into this because it's Rachel is about to turn off. Um, I'm going to go time-honoured and list her achievements from the internet. That's what we all do. Five World Championship titles, six UCI World Cup titles, 39 World Cup events, the double-double in 2015 and 2016, which was also the only perfect season ever. Even a mountain bike novice like me can tell those are absolutely ridiculous numbers, as the kids say, and an absolutely extraordinary record of achievement by an athlete who has achieved genuine greatness. You know, she is essentially the personification of her chosen sport in the mainstream, which is, I think, for action sports athletes, you can't really ask for more than that. And yeah, I mean, Rachel just as bait. She's absolutely at the top of the game, clearly. And as I discovered during our conversation, it's come at quite a physical and mental cost over the years. You know, there's a well-documented list of injuries and setbacks that have complemented these victories. And it's it's basically led to, in this, a very, very revealing conversation because what this experience has given Rachel is a range of peerless insights into the nature of success, competitiveness, how to cope with failure, self-doubt, the list goes on. So Rachel just announced that she's going to become a mum and it seemed like a brilliant time to sit down and discuss her career so far and her plans for the future, which is what we did. Plenty of themes in this one, many of them right up my boulevard, as you'll know if you're a long-term listener. Rachel was a brilliant foil for this one, opening up fully and bringing the full range of experience, insight and extremely impressive levels of self-awareness to the conversation. I did record this one for YouTube. I, you know, I experimented with my Travis Rice episode, went down pretty well. So that's what I've done. So this full video interview with me and Rachel is available on YouTube. You can find that on, well, YouTube, if that is your gig. I'll be back at the end for the usual housekeeping corner. But in the meantime, here's me and Rach. Permission to win. Enjoy. Rolling. Look Rolling. at that. How you doing? Finally. <laughs> yeah, good. I know. It's like when did we do when did we try and do it? June last was year. It? Was it maybe? Oh my god. I think I think it I think it was because I was definitely in the shed and it was really it was a really hot day, I remember. Yeah, and, and then it, it was all like went first long, didn't it? First, we, we must have been a couple lockdown. of hours we, we spent, didn't we? Do you know what? That's the only time it's ever happened to me. No way. Like, 
I've lost one, um, which was my fault. With a with a, I think you probably know James Stenterford, a friend of mine. Um, uh, yeah. Basically, did the interview, and that was just like face to face with you know with the mics and like got home and was like oh god i've lost it but i've never I, oh, yeah no. so it's it was uh it was it was funny because it was because i've just been going back through the the notes that i made last year oh really like, yeah because yeah, we didn't do it on video we, did we no but i was like wow we did a whole we did a whole episode like already are, are you yeah, getting we, the shot yeah <laughs> i want to i kind of want to hide my video so i don't keep it distracts me being able to see my own face you know you like keep checking your hair and stuff <laughs> yeah it's quite bad that isn't it you sort of I find yourself you... like yeah you might have to yeah because that's that. the beauty of podcasts you don't have to you can be in your pajamas but you've just changed the game with this <laughs> i know well i mean since since the option became really easy i've just i've been a bit like well i might as well do it really um because originally i was quite yeah. I just thought, you know what, I can't be fucked with video because it's it's such a load of hassle, and it's going to be, you yeah, know, yeah, yeah, to then like edit it all and all that. But now that this there's like these new platforms that make it really easy, I've been a bit like, oh, I'll give it a go. But we can, yeah, we'll see how we get on. Yeah, but um, yeah, hopefully so, we can talk about some good things because I, the last one was good, but I can't remember what what we said. So, <laughs> well, it's funny because, like I say, so I just went through like the notes that I, that I had from it and. I mean, you were still in the thick of the Achilles sort of recovery back then. So like quite a lot of the conversation was around, was around that really. Because I think at that point you were probably about a year, a year in maybe to recovery. Yeah. Yeah. It was about June, I think, July. I kind of still feel like I'm in the thick of it because um, I I can't really manage to keep much muscle on, onto my legs since the, since the Achilles rupture, but. I guess we should we should just start again, shouldn't we? Really, from the top. Yeah. Well, this is it. This is this. It's happening. Yeah. So let's start. Let let let's start with that. So how? Yeah. So last summer we spoke. You were a year in. You and I think it's fair to say you were and you were really open about the fact that you were mentally finding it really challenging, um, like how long it was taking and how. Like I think it had taken you by surprise, almost like the kind of actual, like actually, like wow, this is like a proper long haul with this injury. Yeah. But uh, but like nearly a year later, you're still you're still getting over it, basically. So how's that? Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess it's it's probably way longer than a year. It's sort of mid season, mid race season, 2019. You know, I was winning the World Cups. I just won two World Cups, and it was just an, another good year you know and then I just had a bit of a freak accident snapped my Achilles tendon and that was like everyone was like oh it's a bad injury it, it will take a long time and I was like yeah that's what they always say you know I've had a lot of injuries and you always rush to come back quick and this time it was like no you can't rush it you've got to let it heal and yeah it took so long just to just to be walking again really um and then so long just to be back on the bike and the rehab took a long time and then kind of went into to lockdown and all the gyms closed and stuff. So I kind of lost the motivation to to keep to keep rehabbing a bit. And since then, it's just been a bit of a struggle to keep the muscle on. It's fine. I mean, I've, I've been riding and sending everything and taking big hits and it's fine. I think it's always going to be a bit smaller 
than the other than the other leg, but it, it it's just a a classic motivation equals results, and it's been difficult to have enough motivation really for this injury the whole time, you know. And how how's your confidence then when you've been riding? Has it affected it? Um. Yeah, I mean, when I first started riding, after I think I was on, I think I was on off on crutches for about nine, about yeah, about seven eight months, and then started walking about nine nine months, and then slowly back on the bike, and you know, you just you just kind of take it really slow because you don't want to risk it happening again. Uh, full rupture was pretty horrific, so it definitely took a long time to get the confidence back and um you just you just got to take it easy but the fun the fun definitely uh, ends up winning of of riding and being on the bike the fun takes over the the fear at some point and and suddenly you're back to normal again yeah and the yeah. muscle thing that you just that you described then so is that is that like a common thing with this injury that it actually because you almost sounded then like you were kind of resigned to the fact that it might never be as strong as the other one yeah, well, just, I mean, I kind of... Is that just a kind of a side product of it? Is that just what happens with this injury? Yeah, well, I feel like all my injuries, I've had so many shoulder dislocations, nerve grafts, bone grafts, you know, so many injuries, breaks and all, all of it. And they're never quite the same. You know, a lot of people say, oh, it's, it's stronger than the other side now, but not in my experience. There's always so much damage and scar tissue and it's always worse and it's always carrying that injury forever. So... I kind of feel like it's the same with with my leg and my ankle it's it's always going to be a problem point and and be a bit sore and a bit weaker than the other side I think with an Achilles rupture because the tendon itself you know comes apart and you have it repaired and I think it's slightly longer so you don't have as much kind of spring almost in the muscle because it's always slightly longer so I feel like it's just a bit yeah it's just a bit weaker and but I mean, it's just joining the rest of my body now and in being absolutely ruined. So <laughs> it's kind of yeah <laughs> catching up. Yeah, because I think that was one of the things I found quite interesting when we spoke last year, like how frank you are about how your self-esteem is linked to your ability to ride your bike, you know, and that yeah, that sounded sure. like that sounded like one of the thing that, you know, as you mentioned, you like the shoulder the accident that you had you know that process sounded really grueling <laughs> yeah like you say it's part and parcel for for what you do for a living isn't it you know you're going to get hurt you're going to have to sort of go through that but it sounded like with this one it had almost taken even you by surprise given the experience that you've got with like recovering from injury and, and listening to your body which i think is something that i'd be quite interested in chatting about as well because it sounds yeah. like you've your experience you've got really really good at understanding your own body like understanding what you need for certain situations but in this case with this injury I was really struck by the fact that it had quite taken you by surprise almost like how how mentally difficult it had been and and how linked that was to kind of this self identity of, as, as you as a bike rider basically yeah and I, I think you kind of I don't know maybe as an athlete, I, I always, I've developed certain weak points, you know, over the years. My shoulders are always a weak point. I've had dislocations since I was a youngster. And my whole career, it's been a, a battle of managing the injuries that inevitably come when you're 
you know, pushing for the top step in any sport and hurtling down the mountain on a bike. So there's always an injury coming. It might be in a year, it might be three years, but you you know that it doesn't matter how good you are and how strong you are, you've got a finite amount of time until the next injury. And for me, it was always shoulders really and, and upper body based. So it was kind of, my legs were always my strong point. They were always my my strongest thing. And I was super, I'm a super powerful athlete. And then to suddenly injure the one thing that's always been okay, um, it was a bit of a disappointment really, you know. Um, and any injury, you, you kind of go through a process, almost like grief really. You kind of, you have to go through the steps and process it in, in the right way. And you can't really miss any steps. And it's kind of, yeah, it definitely knocks your confidence, but more than that, it takes you away from doing the thing you love and the thing that makes you into you as a person. And as an athlete, you really are, you're sure that your whole self-worth and and you as a person is linked to what you do. And so suddenly when you don't do that anymore, you just sat around with your leg in the air watching TV or, you know, you suddenly question everything like who am I what do I even enjoy doing you know what what does my day routine look like without training and racing and and it's really it's always a massive kind of mental hurdle to overcome with any injury but I think for me it, this one just came at sort of a point in my career where maybe I was kind of starting to question you know who I was and what I was doing you know I've had 15 years at the top winning and I've had so many good results, you know, years have been undefeated and and some massive injuries in there as well. And then I'm I'm sort of it was there was a lot of change that year. We we launched Atherton bikes and we kind of everyone was expecting me to slow down and stop winning and and it was just a real kind of everything just all happened at once really. So it was it was definitely a a tough period to to get through mentally, but it, it teaches you if you can learn something from every every single experience whether it's a good or a bad experience then you know you're gonna you're gonna come out better equipped at the end of it can you can you get have you found that you've got better at that 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 dealing with that mental side of it because of injuries because obviously like you're saying, you hear you hear professional athletes at the top level talk about this a lot. Like this, I use the word grief, which is really interesting. I've certainly heard people in your position like use that that word, like you know, like footballers, like people yeah. that suffer like really serious well, yeah. injuries that take them away from the thing that they love or whatever. Yeah. And and like I said, this this I this I what I really found fascinating when we've spoken before is how much you want to learn about from your own experience. I know that sounds like a very obvious thing to say, but like, you know, you really seem to use these experiences as fuel and to like, when it happens again, be like, okay, well, you know, what can I learn from that? And how can I take that into this approach? Yeah. So do you, do you, have you found that in the same way, physically you've learned what works for you mentally, you've got, you've, you've got better at that. You've been able to kind of assimilate those experiences and put them into a positive outcome as, as yeah. that. Is that something you've also consciously worked on in the same way that you've worked on the physical side of things? Yeah, for sure. Because, you know, at the end of the day, all I want to do is win races. And when I don't win, for whatever reason, it's so painful and it really it hurts, you know, in, inside and it stays with you for a long time. And 
and the only question you have after a race is how can I be better you know how can I be better next time how can I be faster how can I be mentally better than the, the others how can I be stronger and that kind of mindset runs through everything in in life you know every single aspect of your life is is questioned and analyzed and I can't do anything without thinking up the pros and cons of you know even if it's just going for a meal or or going somewhere for the day there's so many things that could affect you know there's so many influences that could have on on my racing and so being injured is no different you know it's almost it's a step down from winning I suppose when you win you can learn a lot because you've performed really well despite the things you've done wrong and when you're injured you made a mistake or something went wrong to to pick up that injury and you've got time to to analyze it and you have to been able to learn something from from the injury is the only way you can get through it really because otherwise you just sat there thinking you know all the all those years of training have gone all the months of hard work gone the other the other competitors are just steaming ahead and I'm being left behind so if you can really analyze it and take something that's going to help you somewhere and I've had so many injuries that I've had to do it a lot so you kind of don't really have a choice but but to after you've been angry and upset and gone through that process to come to a point where you're like, right, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to learn something about, about myself or about the situation. And for me at this injury, at this point in my career, which I suppose not in a bad way, you know, I'm the oldest racer and I've done everything I could possibly do in the sport. So it's, it's more now a case of thinking, okay, I'm going to respect my body for what it's allowed me to do up to this point rather than a few years ago it was win at any cost I don't care if I get hurt I just want to win and now it's a bit more you know my body's given me so much that I want to respect it so that we can keep going I suppose yeah you put a really interesting post up on Instagram some last year about 2018 and like how you good old days (laughs) how you approached that and it was really fascinating I don't know if you can recall what I'm talking about but you were talking about how and and it's something we also talked about previously like you the preparation that you did was so thorough and so like you were so on top of every element every variable it felt like that when it came to the, to racing it was almost like a different experience because you could you'd, you'd set yourself up in this position where you could almost rise above the stress that previously might have been there if that makes sense yeah is that and I found that really fascinating because it sounds like again that's been a progression through your career you know like when you were younger you would approach racing in a certain way Mm. and as experience has kicked in and you've kind of understood what works for you and you've understood a word that springs to mind is control because obviously you need to control these different yeah influences and variables like to give you the best chance of performing you know like and and it it kind of sounds like it's all part of the same process you know this like like i say this kind of analyzing like well what do i need to to give my body like to give my mental state to give me the best chance of winning so i guess the question would be can you look back over over your career and see like an, an evolution in that approach and, and and in the way you try and control those variables? Yeah, definitely. And 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 I can look back and you, you have the most growth um, after a big 
challenge. So whether that's an injury or an illness or whatever it is, it's always, you know, my career's gone, like winning, big injury or something happens right down again, then you climb winning again and then straight back down. So it's, it's definitely the best way to learn, you know, through, through hardships or through challenges or, you know, it's definitely the best way to, to progress. It's the hardest way and the most stressful way. But I think that's why I've always, you know, I I don't really believe in like a positive mental attitude. It's always been something people talk about, you know, you've got to be positive. You've got to imagine the outcome. And I'm completely the opposite. I just imagine the worst happening all the time. And and then I really just bring my A game every time because I'm so doubtful and so fearful that I'm not going to perform or something's going to go wrong that, you know, I, I, I'm so convinced that I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to be able to be the best that I really make sure that I bring every single bit of knowledge and experience to the table. And then you end up performing the best because you, you, you're focused and you're concentrating, you know, and, and I think if you don't analyze everything and if you don't make those tiny little incremental gains in, in every aspect of your life, you, you, you know, when you don't win or you don't succeed, you've only got yourself to blame really. And there's nothing worse than not reaching the goal you, you set out to, to reach, you know, or after the race or after the event thinking I, I could have done this better. I could have done that better. There's nothing worse than that feeling. So for me, it was like, I can't, li- I literally can't cope with not winning. So if, if I'm going to keep racing, then I need to make sure as, as much as I can that I can win because I can't handle the emotional fallout of, of not winning. So yeah, it's a pretty stressful way to live really. It's a pretty stressful yeah. environment to be in. Yeah. And, and it leads me to a, a question because that's, that's really fascinating that you talk about I mean, it sounds that. stupid and a bit embarrassing when, when I say it like that, because I mean, it's only racing, it's only bike racing, it's sport at the end of the day, but you know, it, it's your life and it sounds kind of silly to put so much into it, but I guess that's the whole point of life is to have that feeling of about something. So. Yeah, exactly. I don't think it's silly. I think that's why people love sport, isn't it? And I think that's why people live vicariously through somebody like yourself. Like that's why people love following all sport because they can see yeah. that they can see what you're putting into it. And it's not something that everybody can do. Very obvious thing to say. So they, so people really respond to it. So I don't think it's stupid at all. But what, but what I was going to say is that negative visualization, if I can call it that, that you just described, yeah, is really is really interesting because, like you say, usually, and I think anybody who rides a bike or who skis or who snowboards can can will will know this. Like usually, it's like well, if you want to do something, it's positive visualization. Is like you know, imagine yourself doing it, and yeah, we all we all know that thing. So yeah. this, I'm, you've obviously done a lot of work. I'm assuming with like sports psychologists, and you know, really dug into this. Was that like you recognizing that was a tendency that you had, and kind of like harnessing that? Do you know? What yeah, I mean? maybe. Or was it, yeah. Or or was it like this is an approach you can use to win? Does it, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, was yeah. That, yeah, I think it was more the the first one, really. You know, we we 
we started working with a, a sports psychologist. I think I was about 19, maybe 20, Jamie Edwards, trained brain up in Manchester. And, and that was, you know, we were like sponsored by Red Bull and we were like, how do we get better? We want to be better. We need to, we, we need to improve. And, and, and that was a huge step working on the mental side. And I think probably one of the reasons why I've been so successful in my career is the mental strength or or lack of mental strength. <laughs> no, no, you have to have mental strength, but yeah, I, I know what you mean. I think I'm I'm working on a project at the moment for a film that will come out at the end of this year. And I've been reading through all my race diaries, all my old diaries, and it's mad, you know, I've been reading through, say winter's training, and it's like so negative, like I'm not doing enough. I need to train more. I need to do this more. And like, I'm, there's no way this season's going to go well. Like, what am I thinking every day? I, I, I'm not doing enough. That's the whole winter's theme. And then first race, I won. <laughs> Second race, I won. Right. And I was like, that's mad because you would read it and think, yeah, sure. Like, she's not in a good place. You know, she's obviously not training well and stuff. But I don't think... I th- I don't know. You have to know yourself. So I say to people that want advice or some tips, you know, met- mental visualization is really important, and I use it, you know, to ride down the track and physically do what I'm about to do in my head. But I don't so much visualize winning because you know what we talked about. I think it's it's almost more helpful to vis- visualize the losing or something going wrong and and how you feel and what you could do to change that. So you bring your A game, but um, it's, for me, it's more like, I don't know, it's more the, the evidence. So once you've, but you need to have done something for a while. So you have that evidence to look back on, you know, so after a couple of years, I have the evidence that I can win because I did it last year. I did it the year before I did it last week. So it's more factual than visualization, you know, you wouldn't, if if you rolled up to World Cup and, and tried to race and win, it just wouldn't happen. The evidence isn't there to suggest you can do it. But, you know, if you've done British races and you've done some World Cups and qualified well, then the evidence is stacking up in your favour, I suppose. So it's kind of more factual than, than visualisation because you can visualise all you want, but if you're not strong enough, if you're not fit enough and you haven't got the right equipment, it's not going to happen. So it's more like based on what you've actually done to achieve that goal, you know. I mean, it's almost like giving yourself permission to win, right? You know, like yeah. you, you, you're kind of stacking it up it mentally by the prep. Yeah, by exactly. The way you, try and you think, control. Well, yeah, you've done a PB in the gym, you know, I've trained more hours than I've trained the year previous or stuff like that. And, and there's the evidence that you're probably going to be better than you were last time you know so did you always have that or, or not if you haven't uh, done the work <laughs> yeah yeah so like when you were younger did, did you have to learn this or was it something that you kind of yeah knew? well I think it came from the injuries really you know when I was younger I got so many injuries that I would be absolutely flat out at the races you know 100% commitment just win at all costs I was really confident in my ability and my skill level was there for sure, but the rest of it wasn't there. And so then I, when I'd get injured, I'd be like, why did I get injured? You know, why am I out again? Why is this happening to me? And 
and it was kind of like a necessity really to learn to learn things to to stop that happening I suppose I think I went through like five years of having surgery at the end of every season and it just got to the point where I was like okay this isn't working obviously my approach is is not working uh so I need to change something and and learn from what's happening instead of just you know blindly repeating the same mistakes and hoping for a say a different outcome and what did that look like then what did you what did you change well I suppose it's just a natural progression really of any athlete or or really any person that that's trying to improve you know you 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 have to learn something so I I kind of made you know, small things like making, keeping a diary and whether a race went well or badly, making notes of what you did good and bad, you know. So even if you won, the you could still, I could still write five things that I did really badly. And sometimes the, the winning races were more, allowed me to learn more because, you know, there's there's more kind of, yeah, like, yeah, the, the, the races that went well, you have to learn stuff from all the you know if you're not an athlete the times that you've been in a good place you you should still be learning from and still keeping that kind of tab on on what you're doing to so you can keep doing it, I suppose yeah well I, I I guess it's a good point to talk about your recent news then really <laughs> congratulations firstly thank you, you know. <laughs> yeah um baby well, it's really it's yeah I mean it's it's so what are you, four, four months is it now um yeah nearly five I think yeah okay nearly yeah. five months so nearly halfway through really which is mad because it kind of takes so long to get used to that's that suddenly you're you're nearly there and it's it's a weird yeah weird time <laughs> yeah I found I found your pink bike piece really really interesting <laughs> about that because it because it is it is it is quite fascinating isn't it you know you you talked quite openly about the fact that there's not many you can't really think of many peers to to kind of draw from you Mm, know who in your position and because naturally I guess well I guess that's the question you know when you've defined yourself by your career for so long and you're and, and you're racing you know like has this has this changed the way that you're looking at your career? Because I guess like, you know, if a, if a bloke's going to become a father, it's it's quite like, oh yeah, well that's that. I'm going to carry on with what I'm doing. But it is, yeah. like, you know, clearly very different for women. Yeah. And for, it's still almost like worthy of comment when a professional woman decides to become a professional sports person, sportswoman decides to yeah. become a mother, isn't it? You know, it's almost like, wow, they're going to have a baby and still try and have a career at the top of their sport. Yeah, I didn't know whether to make a big deal about it because, or or just to not make a big deal about it because, like you say, it, it shouldn't be something that's so, like, you can comment so much on. But I decided, like you said, I didn't, I struggled in those early weeks and months to find many people in my sort of industry really in my environment many women to to feed off and and to to look to for you know how did they do it the the women that have raced before me and that have had children have kept it quite quiet really which is fair enough it's totally up to them but I didn't feel like that was particularly helpful to me in this situation now and I I feel like I've always have a bit of a responsibility I suppose to 
to do something that's helpful for people. So right. maybe showing my journey and being so open about it will help the races in 10 or 15 years time behind me that, that go through this sort of same thing, you know, when they're a bit, bit older. So yeah, I, I decided that I wanted to be open about it and, and it's interesting and exciting and I wanted it to be a positive thing, you know, like you say, it's, it's, it's such a newsworthy story when a female athlete becomes pregnant or, or a mum, because it's, you can't really keep on the same trajectory, you know, you, things do change whether you like it or not and and whether it's fair or not we aren't the same as men we're not equal to men we never will be it we're just different you know and and a woman has the honor of being a mother and that inevitably changes the way you approach your career it doesn't make it a negative thing and I don't want it to be a negative thing so I'm keen to I say this now but (laughs) when it's here and you know I'm exhausted it'll be a different story but I'm keen to just do what I can to to keep going in the same direction really and and kind of show that it's not a a bad thing and and that it is interesting to people out there. Is that why in that in that conversation for Pink Bike you because it sounded like you had doubts about whether to kind of, you know, talk about it on social and and like how almost like how open to be about it was that was that why because you were I guess it's a conundrum, right? Well, it's it? just it's like terrifying, you... isn't it, really? Yeah. Anything well, you put on social, social media yeah. is just, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, especially when you've got as many followers as you have. It's like, you know, it's a lot of people, isn't it? So, yeah. But equally, equally, you don't want to, it's funny, isn't it? Because the more, the more you, you kind of talk about it in these terms, it's almost like the more you fuel this idea that it's unusual. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah. But equally, yeah. But equally, it takes people like yourself, I think, to kind of, normalize it yeah by not talking about it it's it's keeping it it's kind of saying it is a bit of a a, a like a negative thing and yeah don't really want it in the industry so yeah it was definitely a a hard decision or not hard but I didn't know what to do and like you say social media and and the internet generally is a terrifying place and I, I didn't know whether I was doing the right thing by talking about it or would I be strung up and, you know, for, for riding whilst pregnant or I just didn't want to, I just didn't want any bad things. And I guess being on the internet is, is, is a potential that you're going to have people say things or disagree with you, I suppose. So you just have to definitely be thick skinned. And that's something that I've developed over the years is trying to be less bothered by what what you read and, and know that you're, in your heart you're doing the right thing yeah but since I talked about it there's I've been absolutely just blown away really and and so I mean I always am like so moved and and touched by the messages people send after races and just it's just mind-blowing really that it means so much to people and that they get so involved in in racing and they find inspiration in it and you know I've met a girl at the race and she brought me some earrings because the year previously I said to her I like your earrings and it was so sweet and I kind of since I've talked about the pregnancy so many women have reached out saying thanks for talking about it you know I've been through the same journey on the on the mountain bike and didn't know what to do should I be riding should I be not riding or and they feel like they 
someone said she feels like she's seen now as a mother or a pregnant mountain biker and she feels like she's she's got a voice and it's so special to be to be able to kind of unite those people so yeah I feel honored really I mean that's great isn't it that's when social media can have a really positive outcome yeah and, and clear and clearly that's some of the responsibility you've you've sort of felt because I guess there's a couple of things to say it's almost like a two-part question the first part would be it's already quite a mental challenge you've got ahead of you like you know because you're gonna you're gonna have to work out how to kind of balance motherhood and your career let's just put it that way which I presume for <laughs> you is something that I'd be interested in talking to you about like especially given how we mentioned earlier that you you know you've said that your self-identity is really wrapped up with you as a bike rider you know mm. so that, so you've already got that going on personally <laughs> but then but then like you've also got this thing because of your position that you feel this responsibility to talk about it publicly we, you know like which must be quite stressful to to have to think in, uh, about that as well yeah if you think about it too much it is really stressful and you know for example in lockdown the first lockdown I was bored just coming back from injury so I started a YouTube channel and it was really good fun and I absolutely loved it the first couple of months just doing videos of what I was doing and really excited by it and getting good feedback and interaction with people and and then I started thinking about it too much and like oh is the house too messy you know, am I influencery enough or, you know, and then I just totally lost my head over it and, and I stopped doing it because it wasn't right. I didn't enjoy it anymore. And, and I want to start doing it again. Sorry. But right. I don't want the same thing to happen. You know, I, I don't want to feel like what, you know, I, I'm best when I'm just me and I'm honest. And sometimes yeah. that gets people's, you know, interest and, inspires people and sometimes no one cares at all what I've what I've said or what I'm doing yeah and it's hard to keep going you know if basically do, do sponsors only care about likes and views and and it's hard to just keep being honest and being yourself if you're chasing those likes and views at the end of the day that's what social media is so that's what really has struck me in these first few months of being pregnant is that really all I want to do is be honest and if people want to know then cool and if they don't then whatever you know so that's the only thing you can do I think we need to balance it don't you you need to make sure it serves you rather than you start trying to serve it if that makes sense. yeah exactly I mean yeah and it's it's terrifying you know because mountain biking is such a male industry and you know 14 15 percent of my Instagram followers are women and the rest are men and so it's terrifying to think, am, am I going to just become this completely uninteresting, you know, boring woman that's just muttering on about breastfeeding and, or is it going to be anything interesting to anyone? Like, but you can't, you just got to do what you do and, and see what happens, I suppose. Yeah. And like you say, you've got to keep it true to yourself, haven't you? Which yeah. is, which is really, really, really challenging. It's like trivial example, but when I did the first video on here, I got a couple of comments that people were like, oh, you might want to sort your backdrop out, mate. You might oh, want to God. sort your... And I was a bit like... <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. I was just a bit like, I mean, you know, if I actually start doing that, 
then it's it's kind of mad, isn't it? If you like, yeah, like that's oh, right, made, well, like I'm. We live in a rented old farmhouse. It's horrific. You know, there's not one wall that looks any good, and you think, is it? Oh, you just got to get over it. Everyone lives their own life, and people don't live, you know, in Instagram photos, do they? So, no, no, exactly. But I think you you spoke to me before about the fact that you, as a woman, you definitely found social media to be a a challenging place for your mental health. Like, is that is that still something that you that you feel? Yeah, yeah, for sure. And and it's oh, it's just you know sometimes I wish that I did a sport that was a bit more naturally sexy because you know you you can surf in a bikini and swimwear and that's what you wear for surfing and it looks cool and like it looks sexy and basically sex sells but mountain biking you've you're fully covered head to toe you've got a full face <laughs> helmet on it's not in the least bit like sexy really and it's kind of like so then you you kind of feel like who who am I like who do I choose to be you know which path do I do I choose to go down because like the last time I wore a bikini and took a photo was literally on holiday about five years ago and and I'm just saying like I'm just using the bikini as an example of you know that sex basically sells we're all humans and we're animals basically and I, I think it's hard not to be sucked into that because other things sell you know other things are important for careers and jobs and stuff but it's hard not to be to feel like that's what you should go down to be more of a sponsor's dream I suppose and it's it is definitely a a kind of a challenging place because every now and again you you think am I you know am I this enough or am I that enough and then you think you've just got to be you and 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 I always try to be so good at race racing and so good at the race results that the other stuff didn't didn't matter as much well that was what was important to me I suppose racing and the winning was the only thing that that mattered to me (laughs) yeah what I was going to say is like I on the social thing and the self-perception thing that you're talking about I just find I have good and bad days with that you know sometimes you just don't give it any thought but then other times, I think anyone in the world who's interacting with the world on these platforms will think about that for sure. Yeah. I also think yeah, some really... days it's just like a really great place to, you know, like we we're saying about connect connecting with people and finding yeah. inspiration and good stories. And it's sometimes it's just an amazing place to you feel so, you know, stoked to to be interacting with people. And and then other times it's just a bad place where it leaves you feeling worse about yourself or that your life's not as good as someone else's and sometimes I'm like should should, why do we live in the UK you know you you see all the photos from New Zealand or Hawaii and I'm like what are we doing wasting our lives here (laughs) especially now (laughs) yeah yeah exactly (laughs) yeah why are we here locked down again in this on Plague Island Yeah. yeah no I know what you mean I think it's also but really good for people to remember that like everybody's affected in that way though. yeah yeah I think it's important think, isn't it I think there's an assumption that if you look at somebody like yourself you know who's obviously like really been successful in their field and has a big audience and all those things you know like those outward sort of symbols of, of success yeah that they actually don't really mean anything unless you you know 
cheesy as it sounds if you feel happy within yourself you know and i think everybody is has that struggle no matter what yeah. position they're in no matter what profile they've got yeah no matter how many followers yeah. they've, they've got you know every, everybody's basically going through that same inner dialogue of like mm. am i doing the right thing am i presenting myself in the right way and yeah and, think, and that was one of the interesting things about racing and for, for me you know winning and some of the results you know don't get me wrong it's it's amazing winning and it's it's what you want to do and but what interested me was how lonely or yeah lonely I suppose I felt after wins and after winning big races you work so hard towards it you know you put everything into it you sacrifice whatever you give up and you win the race and you feel like unreal for about 10 minutes maybe five (laughs) and then you suddenly realize that what difference has it made like my partner's still at home he's not here you know the other competitors you're a bit out on your own you know you've beaten them all and they don't really like you for now and it's it's a weird feeling to realize that the one goal you've been chasing for so long is actually not as good as you imagined it to be you know and that's why I think it's so important to to realize that real life is is what the, the ultimate kind of goal is really to be yeah. connected to people to have relationships in real life to have a partner friends family you know winning races or being successful in your job allows you to enjoy maybe more things but ultimately it doesn't bring you closeness or it it's not it's a lonely place to be really at the top because there's only room for one so for me that was a massive learning to realize that if I could be happy in in my home life and happy at home then it didn't matter as much what happened at the races because it didn't define me as much you know when when I realized that Ollie my partner loved me whether I won or lost the race that was huge and ultimately it actually helped me perform better and and I won more races since being with him and being happier at home because you have something else that validates you as a person and it's not all about that that one race result you know you you still are a good person at home you you still have a life outside of, of it I suppose which is yeah important when you slotted that piece of the puzzle in place um did it affect how you felt about your victories subsequently did it change the feeling yeah I I felt more um I suppose I kind of almost put more into the races because I knew what it how it affected us as a couple or I knew what a nightmare I was the weeks leading up to a big race (laughs) And so I didn't want all that to go to waste, you know. So I almost put more effort into the races because it was my chance to be me or be Rachel Atherton. And then I could go home and share it with Ollie and my my friends and family. And it kind of, it, it almost gave both identities um, more opportunity to to be the best version of, of themselves rather than it all been blurred together and been blurred into one. But I think if you'd have asked me this, like when I was a lot younger, I think I would have, I think 
it's totally different when you're younger because when you're younger and, and on the way and sort of on those first steps of whether you're trying to be a professional athlete or successful in your business, whatever, you kind of have to have that single-mindedness to because there isn't really room for anything else in those early days. You don't really have any room because you're learning so much and you have to learn so much and so quickly to to be the best. You have to progress all the time. There's not really space for chilling out, not, you know, with your partner or going on holiday and stuff. That only comes later once you've learned as much as, you know, possible in those first few years. Then you've got a bit more space to to kind of fit in life. But I was very much, and I still think that the best way to be the best is to be, to have that as your only option, you know, the, the only thing. Yeah. It annoys me when people have a plan B because I think, well, you're not going to put every ounce yeah, and more into plan A if you've got a plan B. Yeah. It kind of feels a bit silly, really. A bit like a, a mixed messaging re- to yourself. Yeah, it's really interesting that you say that, that that idea that, you know, this arc of your career where you have like, when you're younger, you have like this single-minded focus that's necessary. But then as you get older, you have to learn how to balance that with life, essentially, you know, as, you, as your personal yeah. interior world, if you like, changes. Yeah. I never really thought of it in those terms before. I wonder if that explains like why, because, you know, what, what a really common phenomenon sport is the is the prodigy who just sort of fizzles out quite early isn't it yeah you know, like you get yeah, for sure. you get kids that come up and they like they when that's all they've got presumably they like achieve this like huge success and but then they quite often don't fulfill long-term potential it's not it's not a guarantee is it that that person mm. will have like a really successful career yeah and i almost yeah. wonder if it's linked linked to that thing you were saying earlier about which i completely recognize even on my little level about how when you achieve those goals there can be like a flatness and a hollowness mm. afterwards that's a bit weird isn't it yeah it's you know, weird it's, yeah it's a bit of a, a bit like well that's it that's the that's all i feel when i've achieved this thing that i really wanted to achieve yeah yeah you've been waiting for it for so long and you're like is that it and then I suppose it it then it's important to to spread out and and think okay I need other things now to make me to make me happy or to fulfill me in a different way I'm still going to be on this path so maybe that young kind of prodigy if you don't expand if you stay you do get burnt out and it and it happened to me you know years ago and I was like right well I've won few world champs you know I'm over it like I can't the training is killing me you know I'm unhappy I don't have any friends like I'm just what's the point what what is this life you know what's it all for and you have to make choices to to go after happiness and that was when I moved to Wales and you know then I met Ollie and it was all great after that but I had to make some hard decisions over that year or two about what I wanted my life to look like outside of racing because it wasn't enough anymore. I'd achieved what my goals, I, I was at the top, I'd won, I'd won races, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then it wasn't enough anymore. I wanted more. So you have to keep changing all the time and keep listening to what you actually want, you know, and 
yeah. and that might that might just be simple things like after 10 years of traveling away for winter training I suddenly wanted to stay at home all winter in the rain and the snow and mud <laughs> and that was like so cool and exciting and I really buzzed off it and and then I had like a new happiness and and I I carried on winning so I guess it's that thing of if you do the same thing and expect a different outcome then that's insanity you know so yeah, yeah it's interesting it's the, one of the one of the definitions of of madness isn't it yeah you know? yeah that that brings me to a quote that I did actually pull I'm just looking it up I just pulled it out of the pink bike thing because it really stood out so you were talking about riding your bike while you during your pregnancy and you said and surprisingly to me I was totally okay with not riding my fastest or at my best um mm. which which I thought was really interesting because because again it's it's that's about that kind of self-identity thing isn't it mm. so and 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 I also you know we talked before about your relationship with your brothers and how essentially like when you were young you were really really trying to keep up with them and that was like a huge driver <laughs> of like where you where, where your own personal drive and ambition came from yeah yeah to definitely. An extent. so like your your whole life you've you've like you've wanted to be the fastest you've wanted to be the best and now that you can't do that for very obvious reasons um but it sounds like you're quite reconciled with that it sounds like you're quite 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 happy and quite looking forward to this almost new relationship with your bike that this is yeah. going to give you yeah and maybe it, it came off the back of being injured and recovering for so long you know you kind of have to swallow your pride a little bit and you have to when you're recovering from an injury, you have to put the injury first, you know. Yeah, I'd love to send that big jump right now, but I'm not ready. And that kind of taught me a lot of self kind of discipline, I suppose, or and and like you say, a kind of a, a, a confidence in yourself that isn't just related to what you're doing exactly in that moment. So yeah, being pregnant and and those early months when we we weren't telling anyone but I was still riding and I was like, oh, I'll just walk down this bit. And all the guys are like, what is she doing? <laughs> I was like, I just don't fancy it today. You know, don't feel like it. And, and to start with, it did annoy me. You know, I wanted to to ride while I still could, you know, and didn't have a baby. But you you, suddenly, you quickly realize that it's not, it's about a bigger thing now. And it's nice to think about the bigger picture, you know, months and, and years ahead down the line rather than just how can I be the best today you know how can I be how can I do today what's gonna get me to that goal so that's nice to kind of slow down a bit yeah and, and it's such a grown-up thing to say isn't it like it's nice to slow down and it's quite enjoyable but it really is you know when you're <laughs> when you're just training and you're so full-on and you you and every time I rode my bike it was it had to be I had to do full runs. I had to do fast lines. I had to, and I, that was how I enjoyed myself. It was stressful if I stopped and everyone was chatting and having fun. Fun for me, it was like fast laps, being a racer. And that's what I enjoy. You know, I love it. But now it's nice to have the other side and just to be like, oh, look at the trees and look at the view. It's all nice. And it's just nice being out on the bike. And it's it's a total different side of life, really, which is equally as as enjoyable well maybe not equally I just, 
Yeah, but something else to appreciate. Yeah. It's actually read a really interesting interview with uh Gigi Buffon, who's like the Italy and Juventus goalkeeper, who's like oh, really? I think he's like forty four and still playing top anyway. level football. Wow. Anyway, like he he said a quite similar thing that you know, they asked him the COVID question. how how was it? And he said the first month of lockdown was one of the most enjoyable months of my life. And I feel yeah. really guilty saying that. And I'm aware that I'm really privileged because I've got a big house and blah, blah, blah. But, he, but he's like, because because it's the first time in my life I had permission yeah. to stop thinking to stop thinking about the thing that I dedicated my life to and not feel guilty about it. Yeah, because exactly. Because it, it, it had all been called off yeah. and there was nothing I could do about it. And he said, all I did was read books for a month. Cause, yeah, and, just... cause, and he was like, it, it was the most relaxing... So I just thought that was so fascinating. Yeah, yeah it's true, obviously... isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, you don't have a choice. It's out of your hands. So, so you know, why not enjoy it? There's no point in stressing. Yeah, I think a lot of people felt that, didn't they? You know, that that lockdown was, you did, you couldn't work. It was legal. So just enjoy it. <laughs> yeah. And that's kind of what one. I feel like now, really. Yeah, it's like, it's it's a ticket to chilling out and just, not pushing yourself to the limit and, and beyond you know and if you're tired rest and it's amazing <laughs> yeah 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 do you think you're like the way that you've had to kind of analyze your relationship with your body and your physic like how your body reacts is something that you are bringing to this experience of, of um, being pregnant yeah I feel very in tune with my body and aware of everything which is good and bad I suppose um you know, it's, it's, it's amazing to be so, to, to feel your body and, and be so aware of it, but it's also kind of a bit weird. You know, you can almost feel like I haven't been training as much as I, as I was, and I can almost feel the muscle like sliding off me, mm. which, you know, is fine. It's, it's just what I want to do. So I've only got myself yeah. to blame. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah um and how so is it a year now since you've had the the brand atherton like is that is it about a year since you launched uh, i know it's coming up it was last two summer years, wasn't yeah it? yeah two years wow bloody hell that's gone quick yeah 19 um, and 20 so this is technically the third year right and you just did a big funding round right like yeah recently. yeah so we launched atherton bikes in january 2019 um and then Wow, yeah, God, we, these two years, guys, gone yeah. so fast. I know, yeah, it's mad. And what are two years? Like we've we've gone from like nothing to so so much already. And you know, for me, being able to race on the bikes and and to win World Cups, I think I won two before I got hurt. Was that was the goal? You know, that was like yeah, the only goal that I hadn't done, and I wasn't sure if it would happen or not. So I feel like incredibly grateful to have done that before all this kicked off like having a baby <laughs> and being injured and COVID. But it's a mad time to to start a business, I suppose. You know, everyone's kind of going through that. But we've been pretty lucky because, I mean, it's cycling, so you can kind of keep doing it around the world. Everyone's still riding. And starting Athens Bikes is just another example of kind of that kind of the bigger the challenge, you know, the the more you you focus in and the, the 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 more you work I suppose but you know I always say like the bigger the mountain the higher you have to go to fly over it so it's it's a a massive huge thing we're doing really but it's what mo- motivates us and 
the only way we keep going is by changing the goalpost really and doing something different so yeah we did a crowdfunding raise about three or four months ago I think and that went mental so good and to be like in a position where we could give people we've been on such a big journey there's obviously myself and my two brothers who race and G and Dan have won world cups and world champs between them we've all done so much over 20 odd years in mountain biking and we've done you know video episodes and series behind the scenes traveling with us for so many years we've built up like such a such a support or like we've built up so many interactions with people I suppose not them supporting us it's like a two-way thing and and so to be able to give them an opportunity to come on this journey with us was amazing that's what we wanted to do really to be able to say like come with us and be involved and that's like it went massive way beyond what we hoped and imagined so it's it's a massive new step and exciting kind of to be 3d printing our own bikes we additive manufacturing that's how we produce them and it's all done here in wales so we're having we're about to have a new headquarters and it's just going to be rad yeah so it's it's pretty cool and like so that keeping it interesting thing is it was a big part of it yeah, I mean, you guys. like, I'm not going to lie, we've been doing this for so long and we've ridden for a lot of bike companies. And over those years, we've developed bikes with each of those companies, you know, and you put your knowledge into it, you put literally your blood, sweat and tears into developing this bike. And then they go on to have that bike for years and years and you move on to a different brand eventually. And it, it just feels amazing to be doing it for our reason and now and for 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 us and for for people rather than for some massive company that kind of just takes the the expertise and I mean we were hugely lucky to ride for those companies and we learned loads so you know to have the opportunity now to to build bikes our way and and put our knowledge into it is is pretty rad and we didn't want to do it like if it was just the same kind of product as other bike companies you know we didn't want to go to the far east and get a million bike frames from a factory and slap our name on it we wanted it to be different kind of we've always wanted to do things differently not consciously but we've always tried tried to push ourselves out of our comfort zone I suppose and so we had an opportunity to work with these engineers and we started uh, Atherton bikes and we 3d print them additive manufacturing which is quite really new to the mountain bike industry so it's got potential huge potential to to be yeah so it's it's pretty cool yeah amazing and how how is it actually working in this way with your brothers i know you've, i know you've worked together for years like obviously like so yeah is it, has it been different difficult <laughs> we're very argumentative <laughs> well, especially when you're all so competitive and driven and opinionated yeah. and all those things that, you know, that go part and parcel with being successful. Yeah, it's definitely been a massive learning curve. You know, it's totally different from running a race team or 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 running a bike park. It's we're running a bike company and, and it's not just us. We've got Dan Brown, who's our he started off as our team manager like 15 years ago. But, you know, now he's CEO of the bike company. And then there's a few other key 
well, all the engineers and designers and stuff, partners, and then a couple of investors. So there's there's more than just us. So it's been a big learning curve to kind of grow out of this like family squabble eventually becomes a decision in the business. It's It has to be more legit, you know, and, and more kind of clean cut than that. So that's been interesting to to figure out the dynamics of, 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 of a real business. It's bigger than our race results, basically. So it's pretty cool, yeah. Yeah. And do you, is, is conflict a big part of that? Like, because it's kind of unavoidable, isn't it? When you try to make <laughs> yeah. decisions. It's quite a healthy thing, though. I think to be able to, yeah. When you got that level, of, when you got that level of trust that you obviously all have, you kind of can be very, yeah. very honest. And yeah, and, you can, and, and you pa- can't really escape. <laughs> I mean, you're stuck with each other. So in that way, it's great, you know. And and we we know how to work together as a team. We've we all have our sort of specific strengths and roles. So it, in that way, it's 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 really kind of healthy and yeah we kind of get things done at at the end of the day and uh it's been tough this last year or so with the covid situation obviously and but it's the same as any any industry really it's just the way it is and you've got to crack on and keep going yeah yeah definitely well i guess my final question um given that we've kind of covered the range of your career and this evolution of your career and I'm sure you've I'm sure you've thought about this. Where do you see yourself in five years? Like, into, obviously, you're going to be a mother. Um, obviously, you've got the, the bike company. You know, I'm 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 guessing there might be some unfinished business. Like when it comes to racing, like what 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 would be oh, something about that five years? <laughs> Sounds like a long. You know time. what I mean? Though, like, <laughs> yeah. okay, let's let's say two. Let's say two years. That's you know the question is like how. How would you like to to see it develop from here? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's so many different avenues now to, to be excited about. You know, even the bike park here in North Wales, it's, it's such an amazing venue to have, you know, for, for coaching and connecting to people. You know, like I was saying, after all these years of them supporting us at races, I feel like I kind of want to give back, I suppose is the word, but like I want to be involved in helping people realize their potential I suppose and I really enjoy it the coaching and and helping other racers but we've got the Atherton bikes obviously that's going to change hugely in the next sort of five years and hopefully we'll hopefully we'll have an e-bike by by then and I won't have to pedal as much (laughs) (laughs) but racing wise I mean it's it's impossible to say really like I'm not going to be naive and say like yeah I'm going to come back and I'm just going to get straight back onto the top step you know, I know there's a huge change ahead of me having a kid and having a baby and, and even whether I want to return, it's just all so unknown, really. There's definitely a kind of fire inside me that, that wants to challenge myself to, to return and and see how high up I can get on that podium. And, and to know that I've done that after having a baby, you know, that's another challenge of life. And so I do, I do have that sort of fire inside me for that. And then I never set out to achieve records or, you know, even when I was having the perfect season in the middle of the year, everyone was talking whether I could win every single race. And I actually nearly did it for two years in the end, but 15 races, I think it was. And even then you don't really, I wasn't aware of it until after it happened. So now I'm on 39 World Cup wins, 
and the record is with Anne Caroline Chasson, who's like the greatest female mountain biker. She's on 42, so it's tantalizingly close, annoyingly yeah, that close. Is, that, that and is there's definitely... so, I just go over a lot, like how many races over my 15 years that I could have won if I'd just done this better or if I'd just done that or, you know, races you lose by point naught point naught one. It's just, it's, but I can't say really. So I'd like to think that I can get to that 42, but then you can't get equal to it. You have to get past it. So, and then on and on it goes. So who knows? But yeah, exactly. Cause then you'll be like, well, 50 is pretty close. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> so there you go. That was me and Rachel Allen. I hope you enjoyed it. I really thought that was a great chat. I definitely appreciate Rachel taking the time to come on the show and for being such a great sport. I've met Rachel a few times over the years and I've always just been so impressed with her generosity, openness, friendliness, professionalism, the list goes on. You know, she brought all that to the show then and it was great. If you want to check out Rachel's YouTube channel, which I obviously recommend you do, you know what to do. Hit Rachel Atherton in the search bar. You can also find her at Rachiebox over at Instagram. So housekeeping corner time, I'm going to warn you, there's going to be a fair few book updates in the next few weeks now that the thing is finally done. And the first of those is that Looking Sideways Volume 1, the book by myself and Owen Tozer, my guest for episode 150B, is now available to order on the internet. You can buy it and it will be delivered to your house. That's how it works. What is it? It's a 250-odd page record of our Looking Sideways trip to California a while back, but it's really very much more than that. It's a photo book showcasing Owen's incredible pictures. It's a snapshot of my take on action sports. It's a time capsule of California's contribution to action sports. It's got contributions from people like Rob Machado, Jeff Johnson, Chaz Smith, Jamie Brissett, Demi Taylor, Lauren Hill. There's a lot of people in this book that contributed brilliant pieces for it. We're very proud of it. If you want to support the show and the project by buying a copy, we're shipping worldwide. You can pre-order now at my website, www.wearelookingsideways.com and through my profile on Vero, where I think you'll find me at Looking Side... I think I'm just Looking Sideways podcast. Anyway, so I've had a bit of an audience bump the last few weeks. Went over 10,000 on Instagram. Whatever that means. Um, And... Yeah, I've had a, a corresponding increase in messages and communications from listeners, which has been really nice. So I'm, I'm going to read a couple out. I got a nice message from a listener from Latvia who said, Dear Matt, I only found your podcast relatively recently and I'm working through from episode one, currently being at episode 50. This is me, not the latter. Quite a few people are doing that, starting at the beginning and going all the way through in order, which is, I mean, that is like a, a commitment and that is a lot of me. I'm going to definitely have to bring out this podcast bingo card with all the things I say and repeat myself. So if you if that's you, if you've done that, if you've gone from episode one and you've done it all in order, then let me know. Because like I said, I know there's a few people, but I feel like that's got to be marked in some way. Anyway, back to letter. Just wanted to say that I really enjoy it as it covers a lot of themes that I find fascinating, specifically setting yourself apart by living a bit differently and outside one's comfort zone to then gain it all back 1,000 fold. It also helps to know that the people you see in public and on TV 
and you think they cannot possibly be human are actually very much humans after all. I also love finding out stories of lesser known characters. Thank you for that message. That was great. I got another one specifically about the Salema episode from regular correspondent Duncan. Duncan writes, now then, Matt, hope all is good. Congratulations on 150. Been meaning to write a proper message since I listened to the Salema Masakela episode. That really was outstanding stuff. All this stay in your lane nonsense when it comes to politics or opinions needs to be ignored. Talking about racial equality shouldn't be regarded as political unless you're against the idea. Really enjoyed the John Bassett episode too. It's important to discuss the personal implications of shit shows like Brexit. Again, it's not political to put that out there. It's simply relating other people's human experience. On the guest debate, this is an ongoing thing. This is me again. Sorry, not the message. Breaking the fourth wall, as they say. Um, yeah, you know, I've talked a lot about booking guests and, you know, the balance between like famous people like Rachel, actually, who um, bring loads of extra listeners in and then the lifers, you know, the lesser known people who often have better stories but lead to lesser listener numbers. You know, it's the old commercial v. creative debate, even in this little world. Anyway, as Duncan says, on the big guest debate, having listened to at least 80% of your episodes, it's clear that the best all managed to go deep, well done for not saying deep dive, Duncan, into some form of storytelling and not just question response. Something Salema said really struck a chord. It was along the lines of his life choices being governed by finding a way to being able to keep doing the things he loves. Professional surfer skaters and snowboarders don't have a lot to tell us about this subject. Ordinary people do, and the work, sacrifice, look, and vision involved in getting to that position on their own terms is always fascinating to listen to. So never mind getting Kelly Slater on. Just keep on having a natter with ordinary, interesting folk. Cheers, Duncan. Appreciate that. As I mentioned fairly frequently, this is me again, not Duncan. I absolutely love getting messages and emails from listeners. I'm back on Facebook against my better judgment. I had to do it to set up Instagram shopping and I got a bit sucked in. I'm not on my personal Facebook because that is full of fucking idiots talking shit about cryptocurrency, vaccines and all that rubbish. But I do have a look in Sideways Facebook page, um, which you can find. I'm also at Instagram at We Look Sideways or you can email me at podcast at wearelookingsideways.com even if it is just to take exception to what I've just said about cryptocurrencies, which I'm sure a lot of people are wincing about. But have you seen the environmental damage? That's my question. Could be a type two episode, that one. All right, that's it. Big thanks for listening. If it's your first time listening, because you've been brought here by Rachel Lathan and you've made it this far, congratulations. Consider yourself initiated into the ranks of housekeeping corner and I hope to see you here during future episodes. If you didn't make it this far, then yeah, whatever. You know, what do I care? Anyway, in the meantime, have a great week and I'll be back soon. Nice one.